Welcome back. Section 229 Creighton Basketball Talk. Back again after a couple weeks. We took a nice little break there for a little while, but uh, got something new today for you. I want to welcome in a guest uh, that will be with me on the podcast today. That's Dan Hall, a fellow Section 229 seatmate, the man who uh, keeps the energy going in Section 229. Dan has been a lot of fun to sit with over the last couple years. Uh, recently just became a dad as well. So Dan, congratulations. Let's welcome him in. Dan, how are you feeling, my friend? Oh, I'm feeling the 229 love, and I'm also feeling another Jays win. Yes, yes. Uh, well, you know, Creighton snuck out of Chicago Saturday night with a uh, a close win over DePaul, truly a nail-biter, uh, as we have become slightly accustomed to this season, which isn't always a bad thing. Being on your toes is never a bad thing, especially going into February and March. It's good to have some, a little bit of fight in these games, uh, just just so we have it going forward. But uh, yeah, Marcus Zagorowski led Creighton with 19. Uh, Creighton had great contributions from their bigs on Saturday as well. Kalkbrenner, 12 points. Uh, Bishop 14 points, but Dan, I mean, what did you see out of Creighton on Saturday? I mean, what did, what did you like, my man? Give me a, give me the lowdown. Well, what no, typically historically with Creighton teams during this time of year, January, maybe early February, we kind of see that mid season swoon. So the last few games, you know, UConn, um, uh, and then, uh, well, the last two, I kind of get them all mixed up, but anyways, uh, DePaul, it, it was the same case of like, okay, we've overcome some adversity, but we've also put ourselves in a position to have to overcome that. But we're finding different ways to win. We're battling. We're showing some grit. And I think that's going to pay off come later on in March. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned the string of games here that we just had. <clears throat> Jays dropped two in a row. Uh, at Butler versus and versus Providence, uh, two really close games decided by less than uh, four points each piece. But uh, since then, Creighton has rattled off three victories. UConn, Seton Hall, and DePaul, pretty much all three have been close games as well. I mean, there hasn't, uh, you know, the victory over UConn was, um, was definitely a close game as well. So it's, it's, you're right. It is, it's good to get that experience, uh, you know in these in these close games but you know nonetheless jays moved to 13 and 14 13 and 4 overall my apologies and 9 and 3 in the big east they are in sole control of second place heading into the first week of february so not bad uh they shot really well from the free throw line too i just want to mention that at 17 for 20 from the line that's good for 85 percent and really good for a team who has struggled from the line this season you know uh, great performance especially in the second half when it really mattered most so but uh at any rate dan we should probably get into our episode from today uh we got creighton legend jimmy moats on the podcast today really good conversation he's been really active as a coach since leaving creighton as well um but really was a part of some of the best creighton teams that we saw during the early 2000s era mid 2000s eras uh, you know, he's been really active since leaving Creighton, like I said, in terms of coaching. So there's a lot of really good stuff packed in this episode. I think we had a really good conversation, don't you think, Dan? I mean, it was, I thought, I thought it was great. I had a really good time with this one. It was our first, uh, you know, older alum, I guess you could say. I mean, we've really interviewed players from the current generation, uh, you know, post 2010. So it's, this is our first, our first interview with a, a, a quote unquote old timer, I guess you could say. These I don't want to go with old timer. I want for me. I would say <laughs> these these are my Creighton golden years during you know my formative years growing up. I've got a nice little uh, a display case of some of memorability I've I've collected over the years, and I'm a diehard Packer fan. So um, yeah, go Kansas City uh, this upcoming weekend. But uh, I've got a ball on it. I've got Bart Starr, Ray Nitsky on it. My most prominently displayed possession is a Creighton men's basketball 2002-2003 is front and center ahead of that. So I've got in Jimmy Motes' smack dab on the middle, fantastic role player, someone who could really come off the bench with some energy. And uh, like uh, you'll hear on later in the podcast, uh, we'll revisit that uh, 2005 uh, NBC tourney run. Really, really good stuff packed into this one. So gear up. Here it is, our conversation with Jimmy Motes. Enjoy. (music) 
Jimmy, welcome to the show, man. Uh, wanted to drop you a congrats at the top of this episode uh, for your EMC championship over the weekend uh, versus Elkhorn, the school's first conference title since 2007. So congrats. Uh, how are things going down there at Norris uh, High School? Good. Uh, it's it's my first year down here. So my, my wife and I, um, it got us back in southeast Nebraska. We were the last five years I was in Columbus. Uh, the home of a former Blue Jay, Dan Colder. So I actually became really good friends with him uh, once I got into Columbus. He's out in California now, but uh, things are going well. We're, we're sitting 12 and one going into the week. We got a big week this week with three games coming up, but uh, winning the conference tournament for the first time in 14 years was a big deal down here. And, yeah, uh, for sure. Especially in we're your just kind of riding the wave right now. I got a good group of seniors that are just leading this thing, and I want to keep this thing going as long as I can. Well, it's crazy that it's it's your first year. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a pretty high a high bar to set your first year coming back and and winning that. And your uh, it, it's great. It is. So, c- yeah, congrats, it, it's, definitely. Yeah, uh, but you know, I coached against these guys last year. I played against Norse the last two three years when I was in Columbus, so I actually had familiarity with a lot of these guys on the opposing side of things. And uh, in fact, one of the kids, it's one of our starters, CJ Hood. He's a he's a Nebraska baseball signee, and in He's a Husker, but we can let that one slide. Great kid. Good <laughs> athlete. Uh, he hit the game winner against us last year up in Columbus to beat us. So he has he he hasn't let that one go yet, and he's never gonna let that go. That he had a game winner on coach modes a year ago. And he's got a couple big ones for us this year, though, too. So I mean it's um, you know, it's a good situation, good good athletic tradition here. Gets us gets me closer to home in Lincoln, uh, where, where my mom's at. We lost dad a couple years ago um with some health things so just to be closer to home uh, my wife's from johnson which is a town's about 45 minutes east of here where we live in firth so um it's and we're kind of closer to omaha to, in fact we just played up at socal arena last saturday uh in the proud classic so i got to go back home for a brief period of time and just real real quick here it felt like bracket buster saturday 2006 <laughs> we played the last game of the night and we didn't tip off till 10 40 so we were the 11th game of the day, didn't tip till 1040. It took me back to my senior year. We played Fresno State up at the in front of 13, 14,000 inside Quest Center. That's how long ago that yeah. was. Uh, we played them on ESPN. So kind of a little bit of a flashback there. And, uh, but it's fun to go back. I, I enjoy going back to, to campus. And it's been different this year because usually I get up there in the fall uh, sure. to watch and practice and check things out, get in, and talk to coach McDermott and the staff and, and coach Max. So good about kind of letting our guys, you know, four players come back, check things out. I usually take our guys to team camp there during the summer and let them check out the facilities and we get to play down there. And it's just yeah. been different. I wanted to, I wanted to hit on that, Jimmy, because I mean, that's awesome that coach Max so inviting. Um, so you've gotten to see more of the new facilities at Sokol. How do you like it compared to the old gym? Those guys are spoiled. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, to think that you had a little bit, you laid a little bit of the groundwork for that stuff to take off. Um, I'm appreciative for it because I was in that transition period where we made the move from the Civic to the new arena. And that was a big deal at the time. And that was the perfect storm uh, when all that went down. Because that's when Kyle was a senior and it was like Corver Mania that year. I mean, it was like a rock star. And, I mean, literally you knew that something special was going to happen uh, with, with, with Creighton basketball making that next step and playing basically an NBA-type arena. And right. to, to be a part of that, because I remember when I was a freshman playing in front of like 3,000 against Grambling inside the Civic, and that, that, was, that was a good night for fans. Just, we, hey, we got 3,000 in the building. But to see that really grow and, and see what Creighton basketball has became now uh, at a national level, and, and now we're not just talking about you know, winning a conference championship. And we're talking like deep runs and NCAAs. We're talking final four conversation. I mean, that's where the program's at right now. And, and to see just, you know, the money that's been invested in facilities and the, the new locker rooms and even for the women, like they've got their own facility now with, with Sokol on campus. Um, it's just, it's a testament to what the university's done to really uh, emphasize competing at a national level and, and playing in nice facilities and, and providing the student athlete with, with a great experience. Um, the only thing I wish they would have put in that men's facility was a spiral staircase going up to the old gym. Like we had at Venardi. Cause uh, I don't, I went up that spiral staircase a lot of times in five years. 
Um, but just for nostalgia's sake, not having that there, they should have they should have added that to the building when they built. Oh, it. for but, sure. I mean, I I went to Dana's camps a couple of times. I'm pretty sure you were you were in there at the time. And uh, been a while. I've been out. This will be year sixteen. Yeah, I was 15. gonna say it's either fifteen or sixteen years. Fifteen. I was, doing, I was doing the math earlier. I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, I, I didn't. I, I was just like, man, how long has he been gone? It's been yeah, it's been fifteen or sixteen years. It's been a long time. I turned thirty nine in May, guys. So I mean, <laughs> when I'm and starting we, to get letters in the mail with retirement, how much is in my retirement and what I've got invested, you're. It's just like, man, I'm not. I'm gonna be in my forties here for too long. Well, uh, don't look. Don't look this retire. <laughs> yeah, the, the, once the AARP starts sending you stuff, that's when you know. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's the that's the tall. I'm not quite sign. there yet. <laughs> well let's let's break it down i mean for jace fans that um that aren't really in tune with what's been what what has been going on with you since you've left the program i mean you've been coaching at a plethora of different places you you've been at creighton prep you've been at sterling as a head coach central city as a head coach columbus high school as a head coach and now norris high school as a head coach am i missing anything there no you, you've hit them all um i did you know once research. i got done playing uh, i knew i wasn't gonna go on and, and make money doing it um, which I mean, that time's going to come for everybody. Um, and I mean, I really got to the point once I was done, I, I was kind of ready for the next chapter of my life. So I stuck around Omaha for a year. Uh, I helped out at Creighton Prep. I did some stuff with Big Sports 590, uh, which is now AM 590 ESPN, uh, when Matt Prault was there um, in Omaha, and did some stuff with Cox Sports. I did just did a lot of different things, kind of here and there, and. You know, I just decided that, you know, I, I, I liked the coaching thing. I had a good experience with that Creighton Prep. I helped out with Josh Lukey, uh, who just became the all-time winningest coach in Creighton Prep history this last week. Um, so I got to be around a guy that uh, was really good and decided I wanted to pursue a head coach. So I just kind of looked through to see what openings there were, and there was an opening in Sterling, Nebraska um, for a head job. And for Jays fans, I mean, Justin Haynes, he was from Sterling. Uh, who I got to know up there after I was done playing and hung out with him some and actually got a hold of him about it. And then um, sure enough, I go down there to interview. I mean, it's a lot different than Omaha. I mean, it's a town of 475 people. Yeah, it's a, it's a big difference for sure. It's a big difference. But uh, here's what I will say is making that move was one of the, like, the best things I could have done for my career because uh, it gave me an opportunity, uh, one, uh, to be a head coach and two I had some core stuff to finish up with my teaching degree so I had an opportunity to get that done um, along the way but I got to be in a place where they embraced athletics and and had some basketball tradition and I was fortunate enough to, to walk into a decent situation with good young kids and we went from the previous year they were four and 17 then my first year we go 15 and eight and we got beaten by the eventual state champion Sacred Heart in the district tournament well then I had all 12 guys back the next year and we made an improbable run, essentially ran the table and, and won the state tournament uh, in class D2 and ended up 23 and four uh, with a really good group of kids. Um, and a little dramatic, too. We had a kid hit a game winner. And you've, I don't know if you've seen the video, but I basically just run around like an idiot out the Devaney Center floor celebrating. And uh, trust me, I haven't lived it down 12 years later. I mean, <laughs> it always gets brought up. And uh, But I mean, for me, that was a proud moment just outside of the Missouri Valley tournament in 05 uh, when I just, I had a really good weekend. I mean, the basketball gods were on my side and everything just worked out. Uh, see, that was probably the next best moment of being in my basketball career was watching those kids win that tournament down to Danny. Yeah. But then, you know, we, we had, we went to state then the, the next uh, three years after that, uh, we got a third place 2011. Then I got hired out of central city. So I decided I wanted to make a move up and a good friend of mine was the AD out there, Justin Anderson. And, uh, hired me and um, ended up being there three years. Then I moved to Columbus um, for five years and I was a head coach there. Uh, we moved, my wife was eight months pregnant. We moved and uh, we won't do that again. Uh, that was a, <laughs> you know, we, we won't do that. Let's put it that way. Uh, if there's a third child on the way, but uh, so we moved to Columbus and I uh, took over there, moved into a brand new school uh, in my second year there with great facilities, people really good. Uh, to work with. I love the people that I taught with and uh, we raised, both our kids were born there, um, my son and my daughter, but to be able to come back to Southeast Nebraska, kind of where I'm from, being in the Lincoln area uh, and my brother who's in radio 
um, and covers a lot of high school and college stuff. And then my mom, we lost, like I said, we lost dad a couple of years ago um, to, to prostate cancer. He just had some other health related issues. It just caught up to him in the end. Um, just a chance to get back in the area and be close. A lot of my close friends are still in Sterling, even Lincoln. And for that matter, even Omaha guys I went to college with. And um, so, I mean, I've, I've kind of bounced around here in my, since my post-college days, but uh, you know, we bought a home in Firth. Um, my, my son will start kindergarten next year at Norris. And so we got a lot, uh, lots, you know, been a lot of change here and there, but uh, I think we're finally settled into a place where I could see myself being long-term. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's all great, man. Congratulations on, on all the success you've had. Cause it seems like you've had quite a bit of success, which is, which is great. So, I mean, yeah. a, a, a natural question that comes to mind, you know, when we talk about all that success is, you know, what's the end game for your coaching career? I mean, do you, could you see yourself coaching at a college level someday or, you know, do you, do you have any higher aspirations to maybe come back into the city and, and play some class a what is Columbus class a? Close class. We made the move to Class A last year. We were okay. B in Columbus for four years, and I was there. Sure. But then, just with the enrollment thing and classification stuff, that changed some things. Uh, Norris is primarily going to be a, pretty much a, a big Class B school, but I mean, we're right outside of Lincoln. Sure. I mean, in our area is growing and developing. Yeah. Uh, constantly. So I mean, we're starting to see a lot of. For those of there. you who don't know out there, Norris High School is just south of Lincoln, probably about thirty minutes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So it's basically in between the town of Hickman and Firth. It's basically out on a, on a plot of land. It's a nice campus. Got yeah. great facilities. Absolutely. Um, and a place that really embraces basketball. And yeah, absolutely. Been known for baseball here recently too. Uh, you know, we've had a, we had a really good football year uh, with our, with our high school kids. So, I mean, it's, it's a great situation. It's, I, I equate it to, it's a, it's got small town feel with big school opportunities. So I think that's the thing. That's how I look at it. And I'm, you know, you got to think about my, I got kids coming up here and where I want them to be in school. And this is one place where my wife and I, my wife teaches kindergarten in the district too. So a place where our kids can have opportunities to do a lot of different things. And, but in terms of, you know, it's crazy because when I was going to get out of college, I, I had an opportunity possibly to become a, a grad assistant at Ball State uh, for a guy named Tim Buckley. One of my good friends, uh, they actually were golfers at Creighton, the, the Shore Twins, Adam and Aaron. Um, their dad they're from indiana and uh, had some connections there and that could have been a possibility but then i think tim buckley ended up getting fired that that season so that changed some things <laughs> right but it was possibly an avenue i could have went if i wanted to get into the college game the, the, the college level is so different though because it, anymore it's year to year i mean you can have one really good year and then the next year maybe not live up that expectation all of a sudden bam you're you're out of job or they're, they're going a different direction. And in college athletics in general, it's, it's business. I mean, you look at college football, you look at college basketball. I mean, the amount of money there um, is pretty astronomical. Right. And for coaches to, and I, I think that's the thing, like you, to me, I mean, it's a different animal. Yeah. I wouldn't have to teach in the classroom, but you got to recruit. Um, you've got all the, the engagements with, with the college or the university you're working at. I mean, there's a lot of different things that maybe you don't think about. Uh, outside of the basketball piece of it there's just more to it, especially at a, at a smaller college but even at the division one level I mean those guys I mean they're doing so many things and it, it takes it it's it's definitely your family um, you know I think with you know and the consistency let's say like Creighton's had with coaches here since 1994 I mean we've only had two coaches in the last yeah. 28 years and I don't think people understand how lucky we are as a program to have guys like coach Altman who did it for 16 years and raised the level of, of basketball in Omaha and even on the national level. And then coach Matt comes in and, and takes it to the next level. And I, and I think the thing, I, I love coach Mac. I, I, even the fact we, you know, we played against him in colleges at Northern Iowa, but the fact that he's running, calling the shots at CU now and, and doing what he's doing. I mean, he's, he's so good for the university. I really, he's been good to us former players when we come back. And I think that's the thing we appreciate the most about Coach Mack. And we're hoping he stays another 10 years. And yeah, I mean, guys don't want to do anymore. Yeah, definitely two culture coaches, you know, culture driven for sure. I mean, you don't you don't Absolutely. 
you don't have, you, you know, I mean, you look at some college programs out there and, and like you said, the turnover, you have one bad season and boom, they're gone. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real big testament to how good their culture has been cultivated over the last 20 years, um, you know, to not have any of that turnover, but, you know, let's talk a little bit about your time at Creighton here. Um, <clears throat> you know, you brushed shoulders and played on some, some of the best Creighton teams that we've known uh, pre big East days. Um, you know, and especially at your freshman year when you uh, came off your red shirt, uh, which is the same team that I think beat Florida in the NCAA tournament that year, which is a timeless, timeless classic game. Um, that was supposed to be your red shirt year, correct? But you ended up well, playing in a few games that season. Can you talk a yeah, little bit let, about let that situation? It, uh, my freshman, I had a career that was probably unlike anybody's in the last probably 20 years. And I was so before the season started, they brought me in. Uh, D Rock would be Darren DeVries, D Rock, and and coach who is having and, a hell of a season over at Drake, by the yeah, way. I'm sorry, I had to interrupt. Just, they beat Illinois State here, so I mean, they're still undefeated. I mean, and it, I think no one's shocked by that by any means because I mean, D Rock is such a mastermind when it comes to things, and he's doing special things in Des Moines, but he was a just his first year as an assistant, so that's how long ago this has been. Um, they brought me in before the first, I think it was exhibition game and just said, you know, here would be your minutes. And we really want you to red shirt. Well, I mean, everybody wants to play, but, uh, you know, they said, you'll still get to travel. You'll still get to practice all those things. You just won't play in games. So, I mean, you just, you talk to my dad, mom, just say, Hey, here's what they want to do. And they said, perfect. I mean, you're going to get another year. So you look at it from the playing standpoint that, Hey, I want to play, but on the other hand too, I'm getting another year here in case, you know, let's say they'll pay for another year of school. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. So we get into the season and I think we're, we're at TCU and Kyle, I think, you know, had some knee issues going on. Well, then we come back from TCU, we go to BYU and we get beat, but Kyle did something to his knee out there. I think hurt it worse. And, you know, they knew that he was going to go in and probably have some stuff like a scope done. So they, uh, I go down. So we, we get back, we're actually in the hotel at BYU and coach calls me and wants me to come to his room. And I'm thinking, you know, what, what did I do? You know, am I in trouble? You know, I'm going, what could I have possibly done? I mean, we're, we're confined on the road. And he talked about pulling me out of my red shirt that night. And I just said, well, we better talk to my mom and dad about this. Cause if you get pulled out, your clock starts. I mean, it's not like it is now where you get X many games and then you can get that year back. Well, you, so that, I mean, that's a big deal because we were already five games in. And so we decided that night not to come out of the red shirt while well, we get beat at BYU and we're getting ready to play Nebraska uh, that Wednesday. And so I get to shoot around down the civic and uh, you know, they, they put me with some of the first group and the second group in practice that week. And, Ends up, long story short, he tells me at shoe ran that, hey, I'm going to play tonight. He talked to my dad earlier in the day, called him at work and said, here's what we're going to do. And then to play your first college game against your in-state rival and, and to hit a big three in that game, and it's something I'm not going to forget. But uh, we Kyle had surgery, ended up having his knee scoped and uh, missed a couple weeks. So I went from basically not even playing. I ended up starting at West Kentucky, then the third game I played. And then we come back and play Xavier and I've been starting against, you know, I'm reading about a guy a month earlier in all the magazines named David West. And then here I am, I'm matched up with David West a month later going, wow, this, this is a lot different than playing against Lincoln Southeast, Lincoln East and them as a, as a high schooler. So I ended up starting against Xavier and uh, had a, had a couple baskets, but I just remember we got beat and we ended up getting Kyle back. Well, then Kyle ends up being the, the conference player of the year and had a really good conference season. And as the year went along, my minutes just kind of got less and less and less, but you know, you know, it, it's one of those things that freshmen, I mean, how do you handle it? You know, cause it's, it was so unique that this is, wasn't how I planned things and it ended up working out that way, but I got to go be a part of an NCAA tournament team. We beat Florida in the first round of the NCAAs on a, on a shot, the buzzer that Terrell hit and played Illinois tough inside of, the United Center in front of 22,000, which 21,500 were wearing burnt orange and navy that day. So it was like a de facto home game uh, for Illinois. But, you know, then the next year I had I had hurt my ankle in the spring and ended up having surgery in September. So I missed the, the whole sophomore year of 
the 29 and five team that ended up getting beat. We got beat by central Michigan. And that's one game I wish we had back. Cause that team was good enough to make a run. It was a special. I will team. never forgive Chris Kamen. <laughs> Chris came Mike Manseal is another name that most Creighton fans probably don't remember, but he's the one that had the big game for, I think he had like 24, 26 and we got down big and we made a heck of a flurry to get back into it late. And something happened. I want to say we we fumbled a ball to bounds. Some a, a screwy play happened where if we get a bucket there, we cut it to one, and we got a chance maybe to tie or even take the lead. But I think we end up turning it over, and then they had some free throws down the stretch and end up winning. But that team was so good and so talented. And, and and I think the thing that made that team so good is how well they played together and how unselfish they were. Because it wasn't just necessarily Kyle. I mean, Mike Lindeman and Brody and. Tyler McKinney, Tyler was my roommate for five years when I was there four years. Um, I mean, all those guys, DeAnthony Bowden took a role coming off the bench as an energy guy. He went from starting and uh, coming off the bench. I mean, those guys were just such good guys and and what they brought to the table. Mike Grimes, Joe Dabber, all those guys. I mean, just good teammates, good guys. And I think that's what makes Creighton special. That's what, what makes us good is how how well everybody got along together, how everybody played well together. And there's something to be said for that. So, I mean, our chemistry was good. Um, so, I mean, that's uh, just the start. My, yeah, my, my college career start, though, I can tell you this, was probably unlike anybody else's in the previous 20, 25 years of Creighton Hoops. Jimmy, I think we see a lot of that unselfishness in Max teams as well. But there's a point sometimes where it's like, maybe we're passing it up a little too much and like, a guy like, you know, Balak, he's got to, you got to take a shot. Is there such a thing that you've seen maybe on teams you've played on or teams that you've coached where maybe you're a little bit too unselfish? I, I think there's a tendency where, and I would agree, where they overpass at times. And that's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but there's also times too where, you know, any coach I'll tell guys is to be a little selfish. I mean, if you got a shot at the rim, you better shoot it. If you got a wide open three in, in rhythm, you better shoot it. And I think, and Mitch is the ultimate team guy. I, and he's, I mean, the, the way he conducts himself is the way he gets other guys involved. He's such a unique talent because of, because of what he can do. I mean, he pulled up the one time, I think he shot a 35 foot, 44. I can't remember who it was against. And I mean, in rhythm, just, and just cashed it. I mean, and, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint what you're talking about because it seems like, especially this so season, it seems like this season it's happened more often than not. But there was one, I, I want to say it was at home because I go, wow, that's deep. Yeah. But I, the, the way that team is configured though, I mean, they, they play in, even you hear like people down this way talk about them. The thing that gets brought up is how unselfish they are. And I think the way they move the basketball, I mean, if you watch them offensively, they pass it so well. And I think a lot of teams, I mean, there was this phase where Memphis was all about the dribble drive offense in the late 2000s, like when the Derrick Rose team them were going through. And all of a sudden it was about Kentucky dribble drive. I think people lose sight that the best way, you know, to beat good defense is good ball movement. And I, and I think Creighton does such a great job of moving the basketball, getting guys involved. And, and I think what makes them so good is the way they, they make the extra pass or the way they run in transition. And they've got five guys legitimately on the floor that are all threats. I mean, you don't have a, a guy that's not skilled on the floor. I mean, I think Max done a great job recruiting guys who can shoot it, that pass it well, can handle it, and can, can play different spots on the floor. I think that's what makes them unique from the other teams in the Big East. I think you, when you look at the Big East, you've got a lot of these teams have these big 6'10", 7-footers inside – where, I mean, Creighton is starting a, a Christian Bishop at 6'7", but he's so versatile and so athletic that he creates matchup problems for some of those teams. And, and Creighton's hard to guard. You know, I thought even last year, I'm like, how's Creighton going to defend teams? Well, then as the year went along, I'm going, well, how are teams going to defend Creighton? You know, how do you match up with them? They present so many matchup problems. So I think to me, I mean, yeah, you, you talk about the unselfishness, and there's a time that maybe they're too unselfish, but I think that's just the mantra of how this team is, is, and I think Coach Mack does a great job of uh, even, you know, just the mindset. Because if you got guys who are too selfish, it's a, it's a problem. But you can always coach unselfishness and maybe being, you know, correct and saying, well, there's a time you need to shoot that shot or, or take it to the rim and try to draw a foul. So, right, right, absolutely. To me, I, I look as if when I, when I coach my team and 
we try to get out, run lanes and transition. We want to, we want to take quick shots. We got to open ones, but on the other hand too, I mean, we, we've done a good job of, you know, what I stress to my teams is making extra passes, moving the basketball, don't be stagnant with it. And I think that's where the, you watch these good offensive teams in college basketball. They, such, they do such a good job of, of distributing the ball. And, and Steve Lavin put it best, sharing the sugar. I love that. I love that quote he has talking about sharing the sugar. It's so true. He's such a he's such a great analyst, man. It's a, <laughs> not not only because he loves uh, Dollar Beer Night here at uh, here at Chai Hill Center, but he does you love know, that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's well, it's it's a good transition here. Creighton's one of like nineteen teams in the NCAA that has f- five players averaging above ten points per game. You know, it really seems to be you know, like a, a best player by committee <laughs> approach in some games, because this week it was Marcus Zagorowski was the player of the week, player of the week in the big East after two strong games. And then, you know, it might be Mitch Ballack the next night. It might be Denzel Mahoney the next night. It might be Damian Jefferson the night after, you know, I mean, there have been so many great individual performances this year. I mean, what, from your experience playing in March, I mean, what does that versatility mean in terms of how this team will fare down the stretch? Well, it's kind of like pick your poison with this team because you can't just if I'm trying to get prepare a defensive game plan against Creighton, I'm pulling my hair out because I'm saying, okay, what do we take away? Because all those guys, I talk about skill set, they all can shoot it. They're all perimeter threats. They you got guys that can drive and get to the basket. Zegarowski can score at all three levels offensively. They're just so dangerous. And on any given night, Denzel Mahoney can get 20 points or Marcus Zegarowski can get 20 or a guy off the bench, let's say like a Kalkbrenner who's came off the bench and been in double figures as a big, uh, you get, it's, it's, that's what's a quality of a great team is maybe one guy doesn't have a great night offensively, but somebody else is there to pick him up and, and pick up the slack there. So I think that's what makes this team dangerous come March is they're capable of making a run because you're not having to ride the coattails, let's say, of a guy to get you 25 a night because you've got five, six, seven guys, like you said. I think it's so interesting. You've got five guys that can that are scoring over double figures for the season. Yeah. So that, I think that's a testament to the fact that you've got guys that can can score it. You've got guys that can distribute. Uh, they're scoring a lot of different ways. And, and I think the thing with me this year is the fact that the sign of a great team is their ability to win away from home. And, and they've done a great job in conference play of going on the road and correct me if I'm wrong, I think other than um, the hiccup they've, at Butler yeah. um, on the road, they've, they've won all those games on the road. So, and they've, and they've uh, buried themselves in a couple of those. They've buried themselves in a couple of those games, too, and have had to have, you know, I mean, they had a huge comeback over Seton Hall, 16-point 16, 16 comeback, right. you know, and, you know, over DePaul the other night as well. They were down quite a few as well, so it's it's kind of crazy to watch that all go down, but you, you had a good point there as well. Our bigs had a really great night against DePaul the other night. Ryan Kalkbrenner Brenner played really well, 12 points off the bench behind Christian Bishop, who had 14 points. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on what you're seeing from Christian Bishop and Ryan, the, you know, the, the Bishop and Kalkbrenner duo. Well, there are two different dynamics in terms of players. I mean, Christian's definitely an athletic six, seven, six, eight. He's got, he's long range. He can play above the rim. Uh, can step out and hit a 15 footer. Essentially, was a guard growing up, but then shot up and grew kind of a late bloomer, and has really developed into a, a really good undersized, I guess what you would call post player in the Big East. I mean, because a lot of those guys are six ten, six eleven, but he's held his own, and I think he brings a type of energy that this team really feeds off of, and just the way he plays and gets after people uh, on both ends of the floor, and he's he's became more confident and aggressive on the offensive end each year as he's gotten older. So, I mean, obviously he's going to be a key factor in all this when it's all said and done in terms of what type of run we make in March, let's say. And then Kalkbrenner, I mean, he's a seven-footer, kind of a guy we have really haven't had um, since this move to the Big East. I mean, we really had a lot of undersized guys, you know, in terms of four or five men. Um, if we could get I mean, Jacob Epperson healthy, we would have another seven footer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he's just had to fight some, some injuries yep, and yep. even he been tough. he's played some minutes here as of late. So, but I, I think having that seven foot presence inside in terms, and he does some things around the basket where he's skilled. And, but when you have a guy that's inside, that can alter shots and block shots, that makes a difference. Uh, but they, I, I love the pieces that they just have. Um, with what what's coming up, you know, getting Alex O'Connell eligible, 
with the waiver and then you'll get that year back. I mean, just getting him in the lineup, you know, even Sharif Mitchell's minutes have been good uh, in a backup role. He could play a lot of other places in the country, but he does a lot for giving just energy off the bench. So I think that the depth of this team too um, is deep, you know, in case, you know, because we haven't really had, you know, any major hiccups necessarily with injuries other than Marcus, I think with a hammy there uh, where he had to sit a game, and, you know, and, and, you can say what you want. You have to have a little luck down the stretch. You know, you have to have some things go your way. The ball's got to bounce your way a little bit. You know, you got to catch some breaks, um, and that's part of this too. And I think it'll be fun to watch the next month here. And you know, can we can we avoid the the COVID situation? Yeah, um, the clock is ticking, man. And it's it, we were talking about that before you before you popped on here. You know, Creighton has two games left against Villanova, and it would be a tragedy if those, you know, if those got pushed back because there was, you know, some positive tests. You know, and I, I kind of want to ask this just from a coaching perspective. I mean, the season obviously has been very complicated for health concerns. Obviously, um, you've you performed very well this season with your team, but how is this grind of this season? been compared to previous seasons considering everything that's happened well it's been so unique and you know we're down in lancaster county and we got told right before we were supposed to start our first day of practice that we were going to be delayed three weeks because the the health department decided to curb back youth sports and high school sports so we actually got started three weeks later than everybody else and once we got the go-ahead they gave us five days to practice live before we could go play somebody so, I mean, we literally jumped in feet first and, you know, it, it's been tough on kids. I mean, it's not so much the physical toll. I think it's more the mental toll because I mean, all of a sudden you look at programs like St. Louis here that had to be shut down for almost 30 days or 35 days. I mean, Nebraska has been shut down here now for three, four weeks. Villanova, um, like you said, I mean, you know, they had to shut down Creighton for a period of time there in November had to stop practice. It's just been unique. I mean, coach Altman out at Oregon, they had to shut down for a period of time. It, it, it takes its toll. I think more so mentally. And I, and I think what people understand is what these guys are going through outside of being in the gym. I mean, they're basically confined to the practice facility, their rooms. And I mean, and they're getting tested, I think either every two or three days. And so imagine all the testing that they got to do and all the protocols. I mean, we've got to follow protocols in our gym with sanitizing and, you know, social distancing, mask on, um, you know, even in practice, some things we have to do. So I've got to wear a mask when I'm on the sideline, when I'm in practice. Uh, when I teach, I got to wear a mask. I mean, I don't think people understand just everything that's had to go into the season to make it happen. I think we need to be appreciative of the fact that you know, granted, we're not getting fans in the gyms and whatnot, but the fact that they're able to play these games are on TV and we're starting to kind of slowly get back into phasing into where we're getting, let's say, 2,000 people inside the CHI Center. There, It's small steps, but some of the sacrifices that are being made to make happen are just insurmountable uh, to make the season go. But you don't know from day to day necessarily um, – you might be shut down for a while or you might have a kid that pops up with a positive test. I mean, it's just we're I'm operating on a day-to-day -day basis with, with sure. our kids here. And I'm sure, you know, coach Mack would speak on that too. And just with everything that's happened, um, if we can get to March and get this tournament done and get it played, I think that is a huge success. And um, that gets you through the year. And then hopefully by next fall, you know, college football will look the same. College basketball will look the same. I mean, I'm even hoping College World Series this summer, um, we can get people in the stands up in Omaha because that's such an underrated event uh, nationally. And it's kind of a chance to showcase Nebraska a little bit. So for sure. Uh, Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it, it's a hard situation for everybody involved. And, you know, I think of the, the people on the front lines that are dealing with this and the hospitals and so forth. And sometimes we lose perspective just in terms of just how serious this issue is and how many people it's affected. Yeah, absolutely. And you and you bring up something really critical, too, is the, the mental health of players. And I'd love to just pick your brain quick on that before we move on here. Um, you know, I mean, it is hard for these these high school and college students to kind of go through this being in your rooms and kind of just having this monotonous routine where you don't really get, you know, valued social interaction. How are how are you guys trying to help your students through that right now? I mean, are you guys actively I mean, I'm sure there's a heightened sense of awareness about those issues. But is there anything that you guys are doing specifically to 
keep keep watch a, a more closer eye over your kids during well the time. i think it's more so like for me i mean we've been in school every day this year so we've been pretty lucky we haven't had to do any remote learning we've been in mask um we're slowly starting to let kids into events indoors um i think we had i think 100 students at our last home game that i for sure know that got in and on top of that some of our lower level kids they get to go to the games now too but just to get kids kind of back to some normalcy to where they can go to a high school game or they can, you know, interact with people outside of school and not have to necessarily, you know, with all the ramifications that have happened. I, th- I think of the college athletes are, and I really do feel bad for the fact that, I mean, they're out there doing what they can do. And I think people need to understand that, that, you know, just because I mean, yeah, they're playing basketball, but they're in their rooms by themselves or they're, you know, away from other people that even their families, I think of the college football guys and you read some of the stories about some of these guys hadn't even seen their family since March. You know, that's a big deal. You know, we were pretty fortunate. I was playing like, at least we got to go home at Christmas for a couple of days and, and be around our parents and, you know, my brother, or, you know, even in the off season, get to go back to Lincoln for a couple of weeks and just see some people. To me, that's big. I think the social piece is big because I think that's, that's a lot of the college experience. Absolutely, is to meet new people. A lot of my close friends um, that I went to college with, I still remain close today. Like Chris Kestel is a good friend of mine. That's a that's a Jay backer and is a season ticket holder. Chris is a great uh, guy. I'm I'm friends with Chris. Yeah, love Chris. I mean, he was in my wedding, and uh, you know, he was one of the. He was a guy that uh, even we'll talk, you know, creating hoops. You know, every so often we'll call and we'll chat for forty five minutes to an hour and. But like going back and going to games, you get to see a lot of those people. I mean, we're not going to have that this year. Yeah. Um, and, that, and I think that's the thing about going back and watching uh, Creighton play. Like my kid, I mean, he's all about the Jays and he loves Marcus Zagorowski. You know, he's he's grown up around that. So I'm training him right in that aspect. Right, yes. He's going to be a Blue Jay fan. That's good stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he'll be upstairs. He loves Ryan Kalk. He loves saying the word Kalkbrenner. Just loves saying Kalkbrenner. That's what he wants to say. Kalkbrenner. Well, we, we, we certainly love him too. There's a plethora of nicknames for him out there on, in the Twitter, Twitter universe. So <laughs> I think Alex Sindelar always has some of the, one of our buddies of the podcast has always has the greatest nicknames. You just scroll his feed. If you're listening to the podcast and go find them, they're great. Yeah. Cause but, I think, but that's, you know, part of, you know, too, for us is, I mean, is interacting with the fan base too. I mean, cause there's so many people that, you know, like I said, I was a part of that transition where we made that move from, you know, the civic to the, to the quest center and people, I mean, it Creighton basketball went from being a game. It's an event. It's a spectacle. I mean, it's a place to be seen. And, you know, I don't know how many, if those guys don't get to necessarily experience that this year and, and the type of year that the programs have and, and to do it, what they're in the conditions they're doing. And I think is a testament what the coaching staff's done to what the players have done and, and also RAS as well. Uh, the AD, in terms of getting the, getting our program on the floor, at least they're able to play. So there's a lot of things I think that fans don't see behind the scenes that's happening to make this thing go. Uh, and having gone through, just you, you go through it. I mean, granted, I didn't have to go through what they're going through right now. Uh, but there's a lot of people that are involved with the program um, that make this thing go. And, you know, and for me, just the season ticket holders that come back every year, year and renew and uh and helps support the program i mean they're just as important as anybody and and to me i think that's what's cool about creighton basketball is the fact that there's 15 16,000 season ticket sales or whatever there is there's a record number of them and that also goes to show you the support and, and the proc we're putting on the floor and, and how people have embraced the program and essentially it's became omaha's team absolutely absolutely well i want to i want to kind of finish this off here um kind of talking about some of the moments that you've already mentioned here on the pod but uh perhaps your best stretch of games came in your junior year in the mvc tournament like you said you named the all mvc tournament team after averaging uh 12 points a game three rebounds a game uh creighton wins the entire thing you made 12 of 16 shots 75 percent for the floor 10 of 14 from downtown uh, what was your favorite part about going to St. Louis for Arch Madness? I'm sure you have, I mean, obviously that, that was really a, a great time for you in your career, but I'm sure you have some great memories from, uh, from Arch Madness. I, I, to me, it was like playing in, in a big time state tournament, but only it was just at a, you know, at a conference level. I mean, playing in that environment. And I think the thing that was cool about Arch Madness is we had five, six, seven thousand Creighton fans that drive down there and support us. 
And, you know, obviously, I mean, my fondest memory is going to be 2005, just because I had a, a big part in helping us win that tournament and get us back to the NCAA tournament. And we won all three games by double digits. I mean, we, we went and beat Illinois State after we just beat them five days before. And then we come back and we beat Wichita for a third time, which love beating the Shockers. And then we beat Missouri or Southwest, Southwest Missouri State, not At Missouri, State, yeah, Southwest right. Missouri State, who got us twice in the regular season. We ended up beating them by 18 in the finals. But, you know, everybody did a part that weekend. You know, I mean, guys made plays for me. I hit some timely shots, but, you know, like Johnny Mathis had a heck of a tournament. Nate had a really good first and second round and just, you know, kind of, they kind of kept him in check in the finals. But other guys stepped up. Dane Watts played well. Anthony Tolliver really played well. I mean, we had a lot of contributions from a lot of different guys. I think that's what it made special is the fact that I think we were sitting at one point 14 and 10. And uh, we just got back from Southern, I think, and we got beat. It was on national TV. So we meet that Monday in the, in the locker room, and Coach goes and shows us a video of past teams um, that have made runs in, in, the, in March. And so that was kind of the first step. And then we, I think we went down to Wichita and beat them inside the roundhouse. Yeah, and you beat and them by double digits too. Yeah. And I think we shot, I think, like 80 some percent the second half from the field. So we come back, and all of a sudden, things just kind of took off. You know, everybody kind of accepted their role. Hey, like, hey, if you're open, shoot it, right? Anthony, go get us eight, nine rebounds. I mean, everybody kind of knew their role, and we made a heck of a run. And, you know, we came up short in that SBA tournament game. I mean, literally, when you talk about, I talk about just a ball has to bounce your way. Uh, a deflected ball that basically your Nate shot got blocked there late. I mean, we had about a seven second differential on the shot clock. So it was kind of a, a unique situation there at the game tied. And sure enough, his ball got tipped on the way up and it got caromed out. Guy goes down and dunks it. And that's how we ended up getting beat. And then West Virginia is literally a possession away from going to the final four. Yeah. So that's what makes March unique. But, you know, I, I look at like going back to just that tournament and just arch madness, just, you know, that was my 15 minutes of fame as a Creighton basketball player. I mean, that was my time. And it's something that even years later, and they've talked about got who's going to be, let's say, like, who's going to have a Jimmy Motes weekend in St. Louis. I mean, yeah, I mean, I that's something I'm always going to remember as a player and, and, you know, making, having the accolades of being on the alternative. That was beyond my wildest dreams was that um, and, and that happening, but. I just think being around those guys, because we went through so much that year as a team and just ended up, you know, we get to March and we made the tournament and got to go to Cleveland and play. So I, my biggest regret is I didn't go back to Arch Madness after my senior year. We, my wife and I, at the time we were dating, we were going to go down in 2012 and we thought, oh, we'll go next year. Well, then all of a sudden they made the move to the Big East. <laughs> so yeah. it kind of, we kind of got, I wish we, we could have gone back and I just, you know, but then I was coaching and other things came up. I just didn't have the time to go back. And, but I think for, for me, uh, in looking back, I mean, just the memories of playing in front of home fans, um, having to eat at Mary Lou's in Carbondale, Illinois, which is a great place to eat on the road, but I hate Carbondale, Illinois, I hate SIU arena. Um, oh, Carbondale. So the fans were just brutal. Yeah. But it was Carbondale. They've, they've had a little, uh, return back to earth. They haven't really, <laughs> It's been a well, rough time. It's been a rough time down in Carbondale the last couple of years. It has, but I don't think what pe people, if you know college basketball, that the Valley is a great league. I mean, there's absolutely. Many, and there's a reason why the Power Fives didn't want to play us in the regular season. We it was, we had to go play neutral site games to go play them. You know, right, and it, it's it's crazy that you mentioned that too, because that that season that you were talking about, where you had that game at Southern that you lost. I mean, you guys had a bunch of big wins that season: Ohio State, Xavier, Missouri. I mean, you were oh, beating, tons. yeah, tons. You it know, works. and it's it's crazy that you that you mentioned that Southern Illinois game because you guys did go, you guys won eight games in a row up until that West Virginia game, and that right. I mean, you guys went on an incredible run. Uh, but I want to just ask a question. I mean, we talked about some of those you know, some of those players in those NCAA games that you guys ran into, but uh, P Kevin Pitsnoggle was a, was part of that uh, West Virginia team. You guys kind of, kind of ran into a buzzsaw there. Unfortunately, um, he made a bunch of key shots. He had 17 points on the games. I mean, what do you remember specifically about that game? Oh, I, well, I remember getting Pitsnoggled. I remember yeah. that. It was a, I, it was a big thing at the time after, yeah. at, you know, once the, once they went on that run. 
So I've got the the fame of being pit snoggle because I didn't get a hand up soon enough, and he shot one from deep and nailed it. And of course, I heard it from the sideline in the bench. But that team, and that was what the thing with March. It's all about matchups. It's about who you play in that tournament. You know, look. I think of George Mason's run back in 2006. That's a team by 20 in the regular season at George Mason. They make the tournament. I think as an at large because their resume was good enough. I want to say they think they were an at large. And they end up drawing, I think, Carolina, was it Michigan State, Carolina, and then they go play Wichita in the Sweet 16, and they beat Connecticut. It's all about who you play. And it was the first time all season that we saw a 1-3-1 zone. We had right. not seen a 1-3-1 zone all year until that point. So we spent the four days preparing, or actually you know, about four, because our game didn't tip in Cleveland until about 9 o'clock their time or 10 o'clock, whenever it was, it was like 9.50 Eastern. We had two shoot-arounds that day. We had oh. one at the arena, and then we had another one again in the afternoon on Cleveland State's campus, and then we went and played that night. But we, we tried to prep as much as we could, but when you haven't seen a defense like that, especially at their length and size, um, it's just something that was different. So when, when you talk about March, a lot of it is just you look at matchups like, ooh, there's a, there's a 5-12 matchup that's dangerous, or there's a team here that's a – a 13 seed that could go make a run like a Buffalo did a couple years ago that everybody was hot on. That's the beauty of the insulate tournament is all you gotta do is get there and, and you've got a shot to get there. And I think a couple years ago, remember when UMBC beat uh, Virginia, the first round, if Crate just takes care of business in the it, first round, they're 16, playing UMBC, baby. Yeah. 16. So that's, what's unique about the entire tournament is you can't predict necessarily Who's going to win what? And that's you felt your bracket. Oh, I think I got a winner here. Like the one year everybody liked Missouri in 2012, they go get beat in the first round in Omaha by at Norfolk State. And everybody thought Missouri was going to win the final four. The, the number of brackets I saw go in the trash can that afternoon was pretty crazy. So I, you look at just the landscape of it. And, you know, I think back and even like the team, the games we played in, in the insulator, even the NIT for that matter, um, you know, it's all about who you play. And, you know, even that Miami game that year as a senior in the NIT, oh. um, you know, that that was a tough pill to swallow because that's how everything was going to end after five years. Um, that's what it came down to. And uh, it didn't work out. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough exit, too, you know, because that game, that's an extremely hard pill to swallow. I mean, that the call there at the end was so blatantly missed, you know, like I I. I I didn't want to ask the question, but that's a pretty sour way to end your career. No, it was. And you know, that just that whole week, you know, cause the weather was bad. I remember that cause my, my parents didn't get to watch my last college game. Um, and my dad to get to see my last two games. Cause he, it snowed was, really bad that week. Didn't it? It was really bad. And he ended up getting sick. So he stayed home for the Akron game. My mom and brother came up to watch it. Well, then the weather got bad for the, the next round because I remember Miami had to fly in early just so we could get the game in. And my parents didn't even make it to the game. And so, I mean, most people don't know that. I played, you know, my parents saw me play my last game, I think, down in Arch Madness uh, yeah. together. And But, I mean, I ended up having a fairly decent game in, in that NIT game. But it, I wish we could have found a way to get a win and just we were just a play short because – we could have went and played Michigan in the elite eight of the NIT to go to New York city. And, you know, at that point in my career, I was just hoping to keep playing as long as I could and just to make it go for as long as we could and end up didn't work out. So, but what, one, know, of the, one of the craziest things I've, I've seen in my, in my time going to Creighton games was the end of that game and the amount of beer bottles that were thrown onto the floor. I, to this day, I don't think there has been a moment that has stuck out more in terms of Creighton fans annihilating the refs. I've never, to this day, I've yeah. never seen anything like that in my life. Well, and I, if I recall, I might have kicked an Aquafina ball or Aquafina bottle across the court. But I, don't, I think I don't, I don't necessarily blame you. I mean, you no, know, I don't. It, it was frustration. But on the other hand, too, I also knew this is it. This is the last time I'm going to step on a floor and play competitive basketball at this level and at a high level. Because, like I said, I wasn't good enough to go on and have a pro career, which is okay. I mean, I was ready for the next phase of my life. I was going to graduate that May and and see what the next phase of my life was going to take me. And, you know, I've been okay with that. You know, I tell kids all the time that, that eventually at some point the game's going to end. And, and what do you do from it? 
but you know i was pretty spoiled too i mean i was good i grew up with jake muleheisen and lincoln and he played in nebraska we were good, close friends played summer ball together and uh in high school and you know he got to go to one postseason tournament in four years whereas i got to be a part of you know i was there five years but be a part of three NCAA tournaments and two NITs. I mean, that that's a pretty good run if you ask me. And I think, you know, in that regard, a little bit spoiled, but also too, I mean, we also had a lot of guys that were committed that wanted to be good and we wanted to compete for conference championships. And in the Missouri Valley, essentially that year in 2006 was probably the best it's ever been. And there were four teams that made the tournament. And looking back, I mean, if we win the first round game against Bradley, uh, we didn't shoot it well. We probably end up making it as a as a last team in. But the league was so good. It got two teams in the Sweet 16 because Bradley beat Kansas. Wichita made a nice run. Um, Southern came up short. I mean, I mean this, the league was so good. It had a lot of good players. Yeah, the early 90s or, or the late 90s, early 2000s were just a hell of a time for NBC basketball. Yeah. And, no, I, I think, hands well, and I think those that know college basketball on a national level know just – Missouri Valley is a basketball conference. And Absolutely. You're starting to see a little bit of resurgence in the league. You're seeing, you know, Drake's having a good year and Layola Chicago with their run a couple of years ago, the final four. And you can't Wichita. knock Porter Mosier. He's a, he's a Creighton boy too. We gotta, gotta, gotta keep our uh, own. And uh, I think a lot of guys were happy for him when he, he made that. Cause he went through some years. I mean, he's at Illinois state. In fact, I think the year we played him in the Valley turn 05, he was the Illinois state head coach and we had beaten him twice within a week. And, that had to eat at him. You know what I mean? And he ended up getting let go, uh, I think a couple years later. So, but he landed on his feet. And I, I think you look at, you know, the guys that have had success that went through the Creighton program, you know, a lot of different things. I think that's the thing that's unique is guys have went on to do bigger and better things with their lives. And I mean, you look at what Kyle and Anthony did, they got to meet the Pope. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a huge deal uh, for Creighton basketball and the Creighton community and the ambassadors they are you know, through the NBA and, and speaking out, you know, with everything that's gone on in the world here recently. I, and, you know, like Mike Lindemann's a, a sports agent in Chicago now, and he's representing guys. Uh, Brody's in Omaha doing pharmaceuticals, I think, still. I mean, Tyler's out in Denver. Uh, Nate, I think, is down in uh, Houston as a chiropractor. I mean, guys are going on and doing things and, and representing Creighton in a, in a positive way. So I think that's what's you, what's great about it. And, you know, our last reunion was a couple of years ago uh, when coach and Kyle went in the hall of fame. And so a bunch of us were back and it's good to catch up with guys. Like I didn't know Pierce Hibma was at Wake Forest university as an emergency room doctor. Cause Pierce was like the smartest guy on our team. I mean, he was a four Oh, he knew everything medically. I mean, you weren't going to trump him on anything. Um, but even like Dane, he's, he went on, had a good career professionally and, but also the times we had to, I mean, playing cards in our hotel rooms the night before games, just, you know, shooting the breeze and catching up on things. And those are things I think that, you know, we were family. And I think that's what's cool about Creighton and the program is once you leave, I mean, you're always a part of it. And whether you're a player, whether you're a manager, you know, but the fan base too, I mean, the fan base, I mean, they're a part of the family as well. I mean, you guys doing this, I mean, and invite me on here to, to talk hoops is just, a, it's just a cool thing. And um, I could talk for another hour about all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, we could sit here and pick your brain. I mean, I've got a bunch of different questions that we didn't even get to, but I'll, I, can, I'll, I can tell you this real quick. My, when my, when I made my commitment, my junior year, uh, my dad was the happiest person I think in the world because I don't think he wanted me to wear scarlet and cream too bad. <laughs> well, so. thank God you didn't because you ended up playing pretty you ended up playing playing pretty well against Nebraska in your first game. Things, so things, yeah, things worked out in the end okay. And you know, like I said, I said I, I had an okay career and but I wouldn't trade in any of my experiences for anything with what I got to do and the guy and the coaches I got to be around because D Rock's a head coach now at Drake. I mean, Brian Fish went to Montana State. I mean, McKenna went to Indiana State and UNO was a head coach. And we had guys that were, were really good assistants in the program that went on to elevate their careers. So it's just, just tells you just how good we had things going there. And we still do for that matter. Yeah. And it's actually a good question to get you out of here on, um, you know, I mean, how much do you draw from coach Altman and coach DeVries when you, you know, have coaching questions or need inspiration? I mean, is there an open line there where you can kind of pick brains or is it, uh, yeah. I mean, I've even with prospective recruits, um, 
you know, there's a kid out in Grand Island here that uh, is a six nine kid, Isaac Trout. That you know, I we played against him in the summer and you know watched him develop. And you know, I know Creighton's really after him and so forth. But I mean, like you know, even just say, hey, there's a kid here that's really good. I so say you might need to check him out. Or if I need to quit, let's say just talk about you know maybe a zone set or a man to man set against something. I think they're real receptive. But I think the thing to me that I'm going to remember about coach is when, when my dad passed away in August of 2018, he was one of the first people that got a hold of me and just expressed his condolences and whatnot. Cause he was coming back that week for his hall of fame thing. Well, he kind of changed his itinerary and moved up his flight. He actually came to my dad's funeral uh, with Lyle and Dirk Lyle, his dad, who I became really good buddies with on the road when we traveled because he always traveled with us. And uh, Dirk, his older, his brother, in fact, Dirk came down to Norris to watch us play the other day. I got him in the game on my pass list uh, to watch us. And I think that was the ultimate sign of kind of respect. And I think that just it shows you the type of person he is. And people see the coach side of him, uh, but they don't see the actual person. I mean, he cared about us as players. He cared about us as people. And for him to do that, to go out of his way and show respect to my father and our family and to be there uh, when things were tough, um, I mean, I think that was the ultimate sign that, hey, I mean, I was pretty lucky to play for a guy that, let's face it, he's a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, at the end of the day. Yeah. And to be around him and granted, part of my flesh got chewed off a lot <laughs> in practice. <laughs> but I also think, too, in certain situations, he trusted you just because, I mean, there was this, a, a level there that, hey, you can get you can get the job done. But, um I was pretty lucky. It was like getting a coaching, a free coaching clinic every day in practice. And a lot of things I do even with our own guys uh, are really similar to what we did at CU. Um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that, I mean, we had guys in the program as coaches and we had consistency. We didn't have, it wasn't a revolving door of assistance leaving every year. I mean, it, there was pretty much the same guys were there and, and you trusted them. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm happy for what, you know, he made his move to Oregon and, and what he's done out there. And you can ask any of his former players. I mean, that year he went to the final four. Um, There's a little emotion there because I mean, he had finally reached the, the milestone that's kind of haunted him in his coaching career. And, and to see him on that, that level, you know, playing at coach in front of 80 some thousand in a dome on final four Saturday, uh, it came full circle because when he beat K and of all teams, he beat KU who, He's kind of had KU's number in his career, believe it or not. Um, to to what for what he did, I think this was that was just a cool thing to see, and the fact I got to play for a guy like that, um, who's well respected. Um, like I said, I mean, he's 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 just I'm very fortunate to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that culture is carried over by generation. You know what I mean? I think he laid he laid a ton of great groundwork for future generations of Creighton players and coaches. You know, I mean, when you have absolutely when you have a culture and a program that is that well curated and that well taken care of really speaks to how great of a coach he really was. So that's a great right. point. And, you know, I think that the people of Omaha, maybe sometimes our fan base don't that don't quite get maybe, you know, just the ins and outs of some of those things because you know him and Rass were real tight. I mean, they're they're best friends, uh, and they still I know stay in contact. Uh, but he's still got a lot of ties. To university. He's I mean he's been back a couple of times, and because when we had our get together a couple of years ago uh, in August, I mean he was around campus and we did a luncheon thing and we had the dinner. So I mean, he'll be forever linked with getting the program at the level it's at, but. Coach Mack, I think, took it to the next level. And I think it was time for someone to come in and and take it to a, a different direction. And if we don't get Coach Mack, we don't get 3,000 points from Doug McDermott. I mean, everything <laughs> just – it's crazy how sometimes life works out. And if we don't hire Coach Mack, Doug's at Northern Iowa probably scoring 3,000 points for the Panthers. I mean, it's just how everything worked out in the end. Because I remember watching Doug practice as a freshman, and they were talking about redshirting him yep. uh, that year. And I'm going, this guy's the best player on the floor. <laughs> and then he didn't start his first college game, but then after that, the rest is history. So, 
Yeah, the, chips, cool the chips fell. The chips fell very, very much in Creighton's favor when oh, Matt got absolutely. hired. So I mean, it's it's the string of events. We'll have to have a whole entire podcast on that sometime. But well, Jimmy, it's been great to talk to you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, on the behalf of me and Dan, thanks for uh, thanks for an hour worth of great conversation and and memories. I've I, it was it was really fun prepping for this one this week. You know, I got to go back and watch some of some of that tape from the Florida game and the in the Pittsnoggle game. It was a it was a really fun time so thanks I, I always tell on. my my, my social I, say, I, I teach social studies and they one cast what's your least favorite state in the country I said west virginia <laughs> and I, they go well, why is it west virginia i've got a picture from the world herald of that game because i've got a picture of me doing this as i'm looking away because we missed i think nate missed a three at the buzzer to win it and i'm saying that's the reason i hate west virginia it's up on my wall so it's a constant <laughs> reminder guys that I still haven't forgotten 15, 16 years later just what happened that night in Cleveland because we were so close to playing Wake Forest the second round. And Wake Forest had a guy named Chris Paul who was pretty good. And was, we were pretty good. matched up well with them in the second round. Well, then West Virginia takes care of us, and then they, they end up drilling West or Wake Forest and made a heck of a run. So, yeah. So there's, there's a little side note that uh, – <laughs> And the crazy thing is I actually got to visit West Virginia a couple of years ago. I was on a trip with some students and I got to go to Harper's Ferry for a tour. Oh, great. I finally said I'm setting foot in West Virginia and I hate it. Yeah, you know, we'll have to look up and see what Kevin Pitznagel was doing these days and maybe just <laughs> send him a clip of this and be like, hey, man, you run some lives here. I think you got some atoning yeah, to do. Well, Come that West apologize. Virginia, so that just that just eats at me still just because, you know, <laughs> so close. And, you know, everybody talks about, you know, Central Michigan and whatnot. For me, it's West Virginia. I just, yeah, absolutely. No offense, West Virginian. Sorry. But just, <laughs> well, thanks again, man. We will catch up here with you soon. And uh, again, thank you for coming on. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you here soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Man. Thank you.